0: Last week at Legends Con in Burbank, California, I had the tremendous privilege to interview none other than one of the most noteworthy authors ever to write for Star Wars, one of the pioneers of the expanded universe. You could even call him Corin Horn's literary father, Mm, (laughs) Michael A. Stackpole. Guys, how cool is it that we got the chance to interview Michael Stackpole?
1: Uh, First of all. Seeing photos of you that close to Michael Stackpole, I'm surprised they let you get that close to him. But uh, <laughs> they're never gonna let me that close again. That was fascinating, and <laughs> and it, it just it just it's like meeting almost like a childhood hero, right? Because mm-hmm. these X-wing books, I grew up reading those books. Those were some of the first ones that I grabbed after I grabbed uh, Truce of So for sure, uh, reading reading Rogue Squadron and then seeing Stackpole's name, and then seeing Stackpole. You know, via your photos and, and the fact that the degrees of separation are so small now between me and Stackpole. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> uh, <laughs>
0: hey, I'm going to have your signature in the mail tomorrow.
1: <laughs> nice. Awesome. Uh, but I, I'm excited to hear this this audio. I haven't heard it yet. I'm excited. Hmm. What about you, Rick?
2: Yeah. I, anytime you get to, to meet an author and have an interview with an author, I get excited. Um, so I'm, I'm looking forward to this one. I know, for me, um, man, I want to hear more about uh, I Jedi because uh, I like that book actually, and so <laughs> I want to hear more about first person. Uh, if that comes up, it'd be cool. But it did um, not. Did not. All right. Well,
0: we did talk a lot time. about Corrin Horn, though.
2: Yeah, Corrin He's a complicated character, so I, I definitely want to hear uh, his take and his reasonings, and just I, I'm excited about that. But I love the X Wings books. They were one of the first. Uh, I read some Star Wars books before uh, the X-wing books, and Rogue Squadron was like the book where it was like, "Yeah, this is this is my Star Wars. This is what I'm here
0: for." Uh, you love some space combat, right? I oh, love
2: yeah. some space combat, and getting in the the cockpit, man. Getting being a what's it called a like a space jock? Is that the thing?
1: Yeah, and, space jock. Uh,
2: and just you know. Eee, hard left rudder roll support, you know, all that stuff. I'm here for it, man. And so... Dial
0: up those inertial compensators, am I right?
1: Yeah. Stackpole does he... it well. Stackpole does does space combat yeah, really absolutely. well. Absolutely. You know,
0: you think about all that he's done. We've mentioned I, Jedi. We've mentioned the Rogue Squadron books. He also wrote two of the New Jedi Order books, books two and three, New Jedi Order, the Dark Tide duology Onslaught and Ruin. Ah. You know, uh, not to flex or anything, but I did get my hardcover copy of the two of those uh, signed at the mm. convention, which was pretty okay. cool. But uh, he also did some collaborating with uh, other notable Legends authors, which we're going to mention some of these stories at least briefly in passing in this interview. Uh, he got to write on uh, the sure. X-Wing comics as well as uh, Luke and yeah. Mara's Union series, and he collaborated with Timothy Zahn extensively. They shared plot points. They shared characters. They shared uh, mm-hmm. outlines in terms of one would take this s- section of the story, another would take this portion of the story. Uh, in fact, the story that he alludes to in this interview is called Interlude at Dark Nell, and it is available, It's it, I believe, originally published in the Star Wars Adventure yeah. Journal, but is perhaps most accessible now in the collected volume, Tales from the New Republic. It's the first story in that uh, compilation.
2: I'm, I'm curious, What was
0: what was his demeanor? What was he like as a person? He was calm and composed, and he kind of gave off the the aura of like an enigmatic wise sage who was like really oh, gracious happy to be in your presence i was i was absolutely rattled and nervous as heck and mm-hmm. he was just calm <laughs> cool and collected and patient with me yeah which was cool awesome. in in fact he had a uh, a homemade leather satchel that he carried his his stuff in at the convention and it's got some mm. like green accents and I was like, hey, Corin Horn would like that satchel. Oh. And he's like, hey, actually, this is handmade. I made it myself. Wow. Which was cool. Wow. Then, get this. As if he couldn't fascinate you even more. <laughs> get this. <laughs> uh, I pulled out all my gigantic stack of books for him to sign after the interview, like a dork. And but it was my, hey, you got to shoot your shot. That's right. <laughs> uh, I pulled out all my stuff for him to sign. He reaches into his satchel and he pulls out another leather bag that he had handmade a pen pouch
1: oh nice my <laughs> and he has this just keeps getting he better he has
0: like a, an arsenal of, of of writing utensils a fleet if you will <laughs> anyway it was it was cool it was like tied with a really cool other string i love that he he said he's got to have hobbies outside of writing and i mm. think that's that's really cool i loved that hmm <laughs> So now as we get into it, I want to give a special thank you to the folks at LegendsCon for helping make this a possibility for us. I would highly suggest all Legends fans attend next time for the chance to meet these wonderful creators for yourselves and to experience the camaraderie with fellow fans as well. All right, this is a big deal for us, and I'm sure it will be a real treat for our listeners. Without further ado, let's hear our interview with Michael A. Stackpole. All right, thank you once again Mr. Tetpool for sure. joining us for an interview here um, at the inaugural Legends Con event here in Burbank, California. Corrin Horn is one of the most notorious and memorable characters in all the expanded universe. Can you tell us about the origin of the character and sure. how his story developed, um, you know, this character growth across many novels from X-Wing to Jedi to the New Jedi Order?
3: Sure. Um as I was researching the Star Wars universe to do uh, to build the cast, uh, for Corellians, we had had Wedge Antilles, who was going to have to be a character. There was Han Solo, who was an unbelievably well-known character. And the two of them had uh, a background of having been smugglers on one level or another. And I realized that, one, Corellians play a big part in the universe, but two, not everybody can be a smuggler. Sure. And so I figured out that that uh, there needed to be the equivalent of the Coast Guard FBI on Corellia, and I thought this would be a hell of a contrast, to have somebody who's fairly straight-laced, is coming to the rebellion reluctantly because he's always been on the side of order, Sure. but due to circumstances, he's forced into this.
0: Yeah, he's a cop, not a rebel. He's a
3: cop, not a rebel, and, uh, uh, and he's a fighter pilot, so he's got that ego, and his position of trying to figure out where he fits in, uh, not having his uh, father around, who was very much his uh, his anchor and, and and sort of lodestar, um, as it were, um, and in the fact that he would come to depend upon Wedge to kind of take that role, both would force Wedge to be matured into accepting that leadership position. Sure, but also would help mature. Uh, mature Corrin. So yeah. he was, he was built out of a sense of necessity of someone that would be a really good character that I could, could grow and be a character whose growth arc would have an effect on Wedge and therefore Wedge would be able to grow. So that's how I, that's how I built him. And then the other thing we knew that there had to be, uh, there had to be a Jedi somewhere in there right. and, and Corrin became the easy one because we're all used to in cop fiction and cop TV shows that cops always have hunches and you know all that sure, sort of right. stuff. And so it's almost sort of... And, and, the, and the nice thing for me is that when Korn would have a hunch, people would put it down to, oh, yeah, he used to be a cop because we're so used to that, right. when really it's him sort of working his way into working with the Force. Yeah. Uh, so it was a good cover so that so that when it became revealed that he was a Jedi, um, then uh, or of Jedi stock, then the readers would be sitting there going, oh, I guess I missed that.
0: Yeah, those so, breadcrumbs were there the whole time. Yep. Now, how early in plotting those stories did you decide that you were eventually going to mature him into a Jedi?
3: Oh, and we knew from the beginning. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely, knew from the beginning. Because that, that you can't really have Star Wars without a Jedi. Sure. You know, but there are multiple ways to get there.
1: Right, so you, you just know, took so. your time.
3: Well, it took our time because the, uh, in those books, Corrin is not the best pilot. Right. There are other pilots that are easily as good as he is or better. Uh, and, uh, and and that was also important. You know, Jedi are an important part of this universe, but they're not the end-all and be-all. Sure. Uh, and so it was important to show that, yeah, you can have other people who are unbelievably special. And we all knew that the Rebellion had been working with a lot of these really special people who weren't Jedi. Yeah. So this, you know, sort of... Built up the fact that this is why they won, not just because they had a farm boy with a with a tricky weapon. Right,
0: you know his his character arc is one of the most um, you know well developed in all of legends. He starts off as you said as this hotshot cocky pilot, doesn't get along with his squadron mates very right. well, especially in the first book. And uh, of course, this is getting into a little bit of spoiler territory for uh, the New Jedi Order. It's
3: been—it's been 30 years. If They sure. haven't read many yeah, of yeah. my <laughs> listeners. Uh, we're about to
0: start the New Jedi Order this fall. Oh, okay. All right. So all right. some of them just been reading along with us. Sure, sure. So this would be, you know, a spoiler for the second, third book in the New Jedi Order. You've been warned. By the time we get there, he's—he's he's willingly making a selfless sacrifice. In your mind, as a, an author, how deliberately were you? Pacing out his, his character beats over the years across multiple novels. As an author, as, as best I understand, you're not really guaranteed another book down the line.
3: <laughs> well, you know, back in the days when, when I was working on working with the Banner books before we got to uh, New Jedi Order, um, there wasn't any guarantee, but the way the books were spread out over the timeline, uh, Tim Zahn was working about 15 years ahead of where I was. Okay. And in conversations with Tim and how we built things out, um, Tim and I would exchange ideas about how these characters had matured, you know, where they were going, what their journey was, so that Tim could reflect Corrin or other characters later on in their journey. And at the minimum, that forced me to think about where those characters were going to be. Okay. And so, so, I mean, really, if you go, starting with, with Corin being a hotshot pilot, he also didn't have a lot of responsibilities. But as we move through the story, you know, he gets married, he has kids, you know, so he right. gets far more grounded and discovers these things and, and works on all this stuff. So you're watching him mature as he goes. Sure. And then when we get to the new Jedi Order, it's just the logical next extension of yeah. you know, this very thing.
0: Nothing so. like having kids to force you into a little bit of selflessness, whether you like it or not.
3: Right, exactly, <laughs> yes. Uh,
0: well, um, you know, we've talked about uh, Cornhorn quite a bit here. Uh, you also wrote some extremely well-crafted original alien characters such as Oral Kurg mm-hmm. and uh, Noara Venn. Who was your favorite alien and, uh, that, that you ever wrote and why?
3: Oh, I think, I think uh, uh, Earl was. Uh, just because um, I, I really, really enjoyed the, 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 the nomenclature structure that I gave them in terms of how they referred to themselves. Because when you have it that he won't refer to himself as I, right. you know that the reader is waiting for the day when he does. Right. And and just having him do all of this cool, heroic stuff such that he builds up to the point where somebody would say, okay, it's okay, you can
0: do that. Yeah, eventually you it can was, embrace it. It
3: was a lot of fun. And, and, and as a result, he was also... He was a character that was very—he uh, had a real subtle sense of humor, and a uh, very noble character, um, and so he was just a lot of fun to write, just a lot of fun to play with. So, sure. And I think you know the second, secondarily, the one that I got to do a lot with and really enjoyed was Elegos. sure. Um, you know, and I mean Elegos went through a fairly short arc, uh, you know, with me, and which does not end as as hopefully as no. we might want. <laughs> no, it
1: does not.
3: But but it also was you know. One of those growth arcs and a very heroic arc, and so, so he was a lot of fun to write.
0: Good, yeah, good. Yeah. One of the things I love about well, going back to Oral Kerk, it's hard to say. Oral it is Kerk, is. is how yeah, you pronounce yeah. it? Yeah. One of the things I think that works is that he's such a humble character, paired with Corin, whose ego is just through the canopy of the cockpit. Yep, yep, <laughs> and absolutely. So they work well as as wingmen together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, one of the things that uh, really struck us in our recent read through of the Rogue Squadron books is that. The Bacta virus plot really became oddly familiar, uh, to real-world events a couple of years ago. Right. Uh, how is it that you predicted a biovirus decades before it became a reality, and and uh, how has that uh, that response from fans changed because of the coronavirus?
3: Um, well, one, I mean, it was very easy to uh, uh, what I ended up doing with the Kratos virus was really. Uh, from what I'd learned researching uh, uh, Marburg and Ebola, uh, and also AIDS. Because um, oh, so oh, yeah, the book, and um, the band Played On, uh, really talked about the intersection of uh, public health policy and social policy, and, and how that creates problems. And so that was the soul of, here we're going to have a virus that only affects non-humans, to drive a wedge between the non-humans and humans within the rebellion. right? Um, and then with Ebola, you got very much the effects of how nasty uh, this thing could be uh, and the existential threat that it was. So, you know, combining those two things and, and creating the Kratos virus, uh, you know, they, it was just waiting there on the table. You know, uh, the fact that COVID did as much damage as it did um, was not really me predicting anything as just me being um, lucky that, um, that we'd had the antecedents of this. I mean, if you think about it, uh, between uh, the end of the 80s, we had, uh, we had SARS-1 uh, and we had MERS about 10 years apart. So every ten years, we have something pop up that has the potential to be a pandemic, and um, I guess we're lucky that in our lifetimes it hit because you know the the previous time was the uh, you know the 1918 Spanish flu. Yeah, lucky um, with air quotes there. Lucky with air <laughs> quotes. Yeah. Um, well, lucky in that the next one could be worse. Sure. So you know we were yeah, lucky we're in still that here. Yeah, yeah, we're still sitting here exactly. So. Um, you know that was uh, I just happened to have written something that was in the right place at the right time. Fact was that the Kratos virus and Star Wars books, I mean, are so popular that there were a lot of people who had read that and all of a sudden were going, "Oh my God, deja vu!" I've seen this before. But yeah, exactly. And uh, and so that was uh, that was weird. Uh, to the second part of your question about how does that change the experience for readers, yes. there are a lot of readers uh, I think who had looked at the Kratos virus as this is an interesting novel problem, you know. So it gets treated as an intellectual exercise. The fact that when it became a real problem, uh, and I, I don't know about you, I, I lost a couple of people who were close to me because of because of COVID. Sure. Um, you know, all of a sudden it became very, very real, and uh, and so uh, fans' reactions to it, the people who've read it now as opposed to who had read it way back when. Yeah. Uh, it is an entirely different book. Right. You know, because this is, it I mean, it's not just a medical thriller. Now it's it, it's a horror novel. Yeah. Uh, so. It
0: reads very differently in the 2020s than it did yeah. in the 1990s. Yeah. <laughs> I will yeah. say that yeah. 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 Well, on a more positive note, um, you spoke to your collaborative relationship with Timothy Zahn mm-hmm. a minute ago. Um, what can you tell us about what it was like working with him and the ways that you would uh, interact and overlap and share each other's characters and sure. uh, try to do right by each other's characters?
3: Right. Um, you know, Tim was obviously the, the uh, you know, aside from Lucasfilm being the big dog in, in all of this, you know, Tim was obviously the next biggest dog. Uh, and if you didn't have respect for Tim's characters, um, you would lose the respect of, of, of all the readers out there. Right. Um, you know, I was lucky that Tim and I were friends, um, and we have writing styles that are relatively close to each other that we could do things back and forth, um, I mean, the first collaborations that we did were the stories for West End, and we always plotted those in four parts. Um, Tim would always do the first part. I would do part two and part three. Okay. And then he would do part four. Close it out, right. Right. And so it just, I mean, it worked out really, really well that the stories um, meshed together that way. And that was a lot of fun. You know, the the, the, the mechanics of the collaboration would be. Literally, we would get together at a convention, and just like you and I are sitting here in a corner of a large room, we would sit down in a, in a, at, a, at a show and, you know, just chat and say, oh, yeah, you're doing that? I, I'm going to do this. Um, you know, other people that, uh, 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 well, literally, um, I remember one morning with Tim, uh, He while I was writing, um, it wasn't while I was doing iJedi, it was uh, shortly thereafter, um, uh, Tim called up and said, so what are you doing today? And I said, I just created the best high fighter pilot ever. Uh, and he said, really, what's his name? Because I, I can use him. Oh, yeah. And so Tim, in doing Vision and working at the beginning of Vision, was looking for a pilot that, that Thrawn would clone and, you know, have out there for when he needed them. Right. And here I created Baron Fowl. Sure. And And we literally, we had a 45-minute phone conversation from that. We plotted out his entire history. I wrote it up, sent it to Tim and this was the probable career of Baron Fell that he and I worked off for about two and a half, three years before Lucasfilm ever saw the document. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, was it? it was literally not until the New Jedi Order meeting, uh, the first meeting that uh, I handed Lucasfilm a copy of that document. I remember was saying to the Sony, hey, I got this thing, I don't know if you would want it, and before I could finish the sentence, want it. She had plucked it out of my hands and into the archives it went. Sure. So uh, Yeah, i never uh, see it again. Yeah, but, but it, was, it, was, it was a lot of fun. Because back in those days, Lucasfilm was feeling their way through things, as were the rest of us. Um, I remember, for example, um, I had to do a white paper uh, that basically was explaining why people other than Jedi should have children in this universe. Sure. Because up until that point, Nobody that was not force powered had had children, and I was lobbying for a Wedge to actually have children. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, and so yes, you know we were able to do that, um, and so that was um, that was a lot of fun. But you know this was because it was uh, we had a, a few people working on the property, and they had grown to trust all of us, so it was. You know, we were we were allowed to run with scissors, but it was under supervision, so nobody would really get hurt. (laughs) That'll be Uh, the name of this
0: episode. uh, Yeah, running with scissors under supervision. There you go.
3: Yeah, Uh, and so we got to do that. It was a lot of fun. You know, other times, um, uh, I remember uh, to end I Jedi. um, I called Kevin J. Anderson and I said, "Look, you're doing the new Jedi Knight books, Um, or uh, yeah, the young Jedi Knight books." are you, uh, I said, are you using uh, uh, the old Sith temple, uh, X.R. Kuhn's old Sith temple? And Kevin said, nope. And I said, great, I'm blowing it up.
1: <laughs> and that was, the, that was the sort of
3: stuff that we could, you know, and I would have a footnote in the book yeah. saying, you know, I know I'm blowing this up, I, I checked with Kevin, he's not using it, boom, you know. And it was because it was the perfect way to tie, tie up the story. And, and, and Lucasfilm was trusting us enough that they were willing to go ahead and say, yeah, okay, I guess this works. You sure.
0: know, so. I love that. That's fantastic. I've styled my Star Wars collection, my my podcast studio slash collection at home is is based on the the Rebel base on Yavin Four. And
1: so okay, it's set right.
0: in there. I hope nobody blows mine up, though. Yeah, yeah,
3: um, yeah. Well, it was the only small party. It was just that off to side. outside the window. Yeah. That's right. Yeah.
0: Well, the X-wing books are a really fantastic combination of two drastically different tones: uh, dynamic space combat and soap operatic romantic relationships. Right. Did you write the relationship drama to balance out the space combat? Or was the space combat a cover to allow you to write the relationship drama? Which came first, the chicken or the egg, the space combat, or the, or the romance?
3: Well, I mean, it, practically speaking, because the, the stories were built off a, li- a, a license to the X-Wing game, Sure. Uh, the military was going to take a a, 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 prime, uh, a prime seat at the table. Um, but uh, they also allowed me to do a lot with uh, a fairly diverse cast in terms of both genders and species um, that that we were, we were playing with. So the relationships um, seemed fairly natural, and I, I've always been a firm believer that having emotional content of one sort or another is really important in in driving a story
1: sure
3: so so having love stories uh you know certainly are um, that's the that's the hanging fruit of being able to do that um and so there were the the, obviously the romantic relationships but there also were the you know the buddy relationships you know between characters i mean you know wedge and Tycho, wedge and and luke um you know and and everybody else getting along and even you know the pilots and their droids um And so having that emotional content was really, really um, necessary because if you don't have that, you're not creating real characters. And if you're not creating real, well-rounded characters, nobody's going to care when they die. Sure. And one of the things we knew right from the get go is not everybody was getting out of the X Wing books alive. Yeah. You know? One of the things and, that
0: shocked me as a kid, I first read this, and you're right. a third of the way into the first book and, and one of the rogues dies and there's a funeral.
3: Well and and, 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 and and she died very specifically the way she died to be not fair. She dies out of combat. In combat, nobody could beat the rogues. But she dies out of combat. And I wanted that because every reader was going to be thinking, that is not fair. They, they, she was not killed in combat. She was murdered. Yeah. And and they would want everything set to right. So the raid where they go back, and they, they track those guys back, and when they lay waste to their base. It's personal. It is personal, and everybody is happy that, you know, things have been balanced. Things are right. right. You know, we're still sad. Our friend is gone. But uh, you know, at least, at least we've evened things up. Um, and, and that's part of the job as a writer is to is to set up situations to engage emotions, so that you can play with the reader's emotions and give them that full full roller coaster ride.
0: Yeah, you play with uh, the X wings and also with our emotions.
3: Yeah. Um, no, one of the things that was really kind of weird was that there were readers, and they tended to be twelve year old boys. Who would read all the combat chapters, and 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 they wouldn't care about they wouldn't care about the character stuff that went in between the combat chapters. Yeah. And then there were lots of readers, um, uh, especially you know middle-aged women, moms, uh, stuff yeah. like that, who would read all the relationship chapters. Yeah. And they would say to me, "Can't you just do the when you do the combat chapters, can't you just have a box score at the end?" Sure. I have
0: <laughs> several friends who who skip the combat. Right? Yeah.
3: Yeah. Exactly. And so and so you know the books ended up serving both sides of the audience, as it were. Right. Which of those
0: did you prefer to write, the relationships or the uh, the dog fights?
3: You know, it's not really a a preference as much as just trying to make sure that the story was always going to be entertaining. So the the relationship stuff would engage uh, generally on a humorous level and on a a, an emotional level, and so you, you definitely wanted that. And then with the combats, one of the things that's really really important in a book where you're doing where It's going to be action-heavy. Is that you have to make the challenges scale without just uh, um, just without a, a, a number scale. So you know you can't have you know Corin engages and shoots one pilot in one chapter, and then three chapters later it's now two on one. He's okay, and the next one is four on one, and he's okay, and then eight on one, and he's okay. Because once you get to eight on one. It's right. like, then, why did he struggle with one-on-one? Right. So it's not at all balanced. Lose the stakes. Right. So you have to, you then have to give the reader different things to worry about, you know. And and sometimes you get to do both, when when Tycho takes an unarmed shuttle into combat to be, you know, essentially to be a target, so they can actually hit something. Right. You know. That's an unbelievably heroic act for Tycho to be doing. Right. And it's also, you know, it's also tough flying for everybody else. So you get the excitement, but you're also now suddenly learning something about Tycho,
1: Right.
0: So. Yeah. And there's certainly stakes, because you've already oh, shown yeah. yep. that nobody's safe. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
3: You can, you can <laughs> die, you can be maimed, you know. Right. So, yeah. Well, one final question
0: for you sure. today, and we'll cut you loose. Recently. The Rogue Squadron books have been re-released as part of the Essential Legends collection. Yep. Now, hot off the heels of that, we've got iJedi Jedi yep. coming out as well. How have you seen a new generation of readers discover your books all over again? And how do you feel about having your books being re-released?
3: Oh, one, I, I love them. I, I think yeah. the covers are gorgeous, and I really I, I love that larger size. And you know, for all of us who are getting older, you know, larger pages means there's more space, so we can actually read maybe without <laughs> our glasses. Yeah. Um, uh what's weird is you get a lot of people who are who are buying those books to just to have having to hold and, and read for the first time there are a lot of people who buy those books as souvenirs sure you know they they remember reading them 10 15 years ago they've lost them in a half a dozen moves uh you know and now's their chance to get this nice uniform set of the books right uh and i think that's i mean that's really really cool uh, yeah, I, I really like seeing that treatment, and the fact that at least the first four got the unabridged audio that they never had, and that's sure. still very, very cool. Yeah, it well.
0: by Mark Thompson. Yep. You're fantastically done.
3: Oh yeah, 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 yeah absolutely.
0: Well, so. we're looking forward to seeing a uh, uh, new generation of fans fall in love with I Jedi all over again, um, mm-hmm. just like we have all fallen in love with Cornhorn. And so, thank you for bringing that character to life for uh, giving us a little bit of time this
1: afternoon.
3: No, my pleasure. Thank you very much for asking. Yes,
1: sir. This is a UTV broadcast.